you had bottled wine and then you had cask wine. And cask wine was a massive innovation and it popularized wine and it took wine to the people. But at the same time, Goon changed the perception. Like it, it In the same way that Kath and Kim changed the perception of Cardinet. <laughs> Thanks to Cryer Malt and live from the floor of BrewCon 2018 Trade Expo, this is a Good Brews Week. I'm Pete Mitchum, your host, and live in the actual studio with even a picture of an actual studio. It's not actually a studio. It's uh, my good friend and colleague, Matt Kierkegaard. Matt, g'day, oh, mate. mate. It's, it's, this is great. I mean, this is so exciting to be at the conference, to be uh, in real life. And to actually have the, the Brews News studio, which is, uh, it, 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 we're almost, prof- we're, not only are we regular, we're professional these days, Prof. Well, speaking of regular, and now officially classified as a good friend of the program, because she's making her third appearance, it's Zoe Ottaway. Welcome Hi, back, Zoe. thank you for having me. This is my first time in a real I radio know. studio, too. Well, it's not a real radio <laughs> studio. Most of this is just stuck on for effect, and a lot of the soundproofing. Don't, don't destroy oh, the magic, because yeah, I'm, sure, I'm, sure I'm sure in the show notes, you'll see that there's a picture of us uh, in the recording studio which look to be honest is it, it may be attached to one of the uh one of the stands here at brewcon uh 2018 trade expo but it, it does it, it looks very salubrious from the right distance yeah from, from <laughs> but let's not beat about beat around the bush guys um so i don't know about you but for matt and i the only thing really we love about the fact that uh, every now and then it's a very rare occurrence once or twice a year we record live is because we get to drink <laughs> All these other podcasts, it's all clinking of glasses and chitting of cans and all this sort of shit. We, and we're sitting there usually at stupid o'clock in the morning drinking coffee quietly. Uh, this time, as I say, we've got the, we've got the live action, we've got the, the ambient noise in the background, it's all happening around us and we can be drinking beer. And without, you know, sort of, um, I guess, missing out any of the many of the brewers who are here, we, we can give a little bit of a shout out to uh, Stomping Ground. And I'm going to give big ups to Asher. Hall. This is their um, the Sour Red Saison, the Stomping Ground Sour Red Saison, the newest one in cans. Absolute cracker. And we're, I feel very bad because I've just realised now Zoe doesn't have one. <laughs> oh, I wasn't going to point that we out. We might just but... press pause. We're going to pop over to the Ellerslie stand and grab a Saison. You introduced the stories and by the time that you finish... I will oh, be like back with a beer. Less work for Joe. That's sensational. And I will let the listeners know that this is actually happening. There is, Matt <laughs> is, is actually doing okay. the dash. Now, I feel very special now. I do feel like a special guest now. <laughs> Matt's not here, so let's talk about him behind his back. Um, geez, didn't he get canned for his uh, comments about the Brute IPA? Have you have you come across the uh, the Brute IPA situation yet, Zoe? No, I'm um, not up to speed with that one, unfortunately, yet. Um, yeah, the conference has, has pr- what was pretty that? much so been I miss? I've just come back with a Saison or a uh, New England IPA. Oh, um, no, uh, if I wanted chicken soup, I would have ordered it. <laughs> a bad shepherd New England IPA, so yes. Oh, so that'll be a cracker. It'll be a cracker, but, you know. So what did I miss? We were going to talk about you behind your back, but uh, no, look, I did just uh, brief Zoe on the fact that um, you wrote a cracking article about... Uh, uh, an interview with um, Scotty McKinnon from Wolf of the Willows. And Scotty, I'm, I'm hoping we'll be able to catch up with uh, for a beer as a conversation 
like perhaps perhaps when the when the bushfire is put out. I, well, I don't know. Man. I don't, no, I don't know this I'm overcooking that one a little bit. It, it's one of those things. You now you often have a go at me, uh, or not have a go, but you know, I do have a tendency to over-explain myself, and this is a great reason why that is the case. So I wrote an article, um, got a media release uh, from Renee uh, McKinnon about the Brute IPA um, story, and it's said it's a Brute IPA. This is the style. It's very light. We use enzymes to break it down. And straight away, that was the, the headline for me. Um, and we, we raised this a little bit on the program last week because it's not that long ago the brewers using enzymes was an absolute no-no because it, just, it wasn't the craft of brewing. Um, and, uh, and we should explain for, for those non-technical listeners, and I include myself in that. So the, you use amylase, which is an enzyme, added in at... Mash, or uh, I believe it's added in the mash. There's a couple of different ways, and one of the chats we're going to be having uh, for beers of conversation upcoming is speaking to somebody from Fermentus about they've got a yeast that has enzyme added, so they can actually add it for high uh, gravity beers. Um, so when you're getting up to your beers up to 18, percent you add this this yeast that can tolerate the higher alcohol, but then also the enzymes that are in as part of the kit break down even more sugars to, to get it up there. So basically makes the sugar even more edible, I guess, by, by the yeast so that more so that less residual sugar is left behind, therefore you get a drier finish. Very much. Haven't you, haven't you heard me talk about this uh, in one of my tasting classes that you also like to you know uh, have, have fun at, where I describe if you think of the sugars in grapes, the sugars are just fermentable. They'll just spontaneously ferment. In barley, the sugars are long-chain sugars, so they're starches. And so when I'm doing my beer tastings, I explain it to punters. If you eat meat, you don't eat a cow. You know, you need a butcher to cut it up into steak so you can you know, digest it. And it's basically, yeast looks at um, the sugars in barley as being a cow. And enzymes are the little sugar butchers that cut up the cow into steaks. Um, now, it's not perfect... You're making, you're making a, a, a mental picture of a beautiful little uh, animated sort of uh, illustrative graphic. Yeah, exactly. So um, the, the malting process starts that process of it harnesses the power of the seed to uh, you know, start breaking down those, creating the enzymes to break that down, but it's not a perfect process. So depending on the diastatic power of the, the malt and all those sort of things, you still get some carbs left in in the beer yep. um so it's body mouthfeel body mouthfeel all of those things length. um but big brewers have tended to use enzymes to create low carb beers and even further break down those you know help breaking those sugars down and we've been critical because perhaps the thinking behind that is that we want to make it taste as little like beer as we possibly can so that more people will enjoy it and that's perhaps a, a cynical outlook but it's it's probably not overly far from the truth well that's where i had again anyone who's listening to this podcast will have to wait a week or so for my chat with dick cantwell because we talk a lot about this in um ipas but it comes down to the intent and so they used it to lighten the body and make beers smashable um which funnily enough in, in is sort of what they're doing with the uh brute ipa because they want to really lighten the body but in doing so as as scotty very eloquently put it it lets, you've got nothing to get in the way of the hop flavour. So you've got this beautiful beer, 
and the hops are naked in that beer because you don't have the malt to confuse the palate. You don't have yeast and it's just a, a beautiful beer. And I, I think that's a fascinating beer style. But also the bigger picture for that was the way that we've matured or we've changed or there's been a step shift in our approach to um, ingredients. And it's not this idea of traditional allows you to use you know, modern brewing techniques like enzymes. And, you know, um, tetra hops used to put Corona in uh, flint glass bottles and not be sun affected is seen as a negative. And yet we're seeing a lot of craft brewers start to use hop extracts to get rid of the vegetative, uh, you know, the vegetal um, flavours, or, or some to of get those. the IBUs yeah. without getting the harshness. And, yeah, and, yep. and and that's where it comes down to. But yeah, so and, and I thought that was the most uh, interesting element of the beer, um, and it wasn't. And, and drawing the saying that there was a blurring of the distinction between craft and industrial isn't to say that this is an industrial beer in any way, shape, or form. But it's just saying that. But, these but there is a, there is a a thinking shift in terms of okay, you know what we we probably accept in 2018 things that we probably didn't understand but certainly did not accept 5, 10, 15 years yeah. ago. Well, even, uh, I mean, under 10 years ago, Lion tried to make some of their... The good beer promise. Beers, the natural beer promise. The natural beer promise. for about five minutes um, because they had to take Tetra Hops out um, and once they took Tetra Hops out, there was so little protein in the beer that... You know, Couldn't bone, get head retention. They... they Everyone thought the beer was going flat, so they had to put the uh, Tetra Hops back in. But the interesting thing that came out about that was that they felt that any of their beers that used amylase or enzymes to break down the sugars couldn't carry a logo that said natural Natural, brew. yeah. Now, I'm pretty sure that Scotty you know, it would quite happily stand on a soapbox and say, my beer is naturally brewed, um, and yet it uses the same enzyme. And that is a, a big shift in thinking um, uh, around the beer so yeah so to say that there's a blurring of the very what were once very clean lines between craft and traditional and you know brew with the mash paddle and industrial and isn't to say that this is an industrial beer style it's just saying the thinking has shifted and perhaps it was a little bit clumsy. Zoe did you find in, in previous um, lifetimes at, at, at Mountain Goat and even at, at Creatures that you often probably had to, from a marketing point of view, you had to deflect this sort of narrative where um, people assumed that, oh, now that it's owned by big people, you don't brew the beer the same way anymore and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, you, you obviously it's, it's, it's all of a sudden become factory beer because you're owned by the big house all of a sudden. So is, that the same, is this a similar kind of thing where, I'm not saying it's the uninitiated or the, or the uneducated, but do we perhaps need to start I guess, sharing the story that, you know what, we, we, we can copy from big beer um, and still make craft. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, particularly with Creatures, because I was there before and after the acquisition, um, there definitely was overnight the beers changed, um, which clearly that beer got made months earlier and um, had been distributed around the country. Um, and there is that education piece, um, it is absolutely that storytelling piece. And for those larger breweries, um, it's also, I guess, understanding where that consumer is coming from too because they believe in those brands. Those brands, the stories that got them into that brand in the first place has changed on them. And there is, understandably, um, I guess for lack of a better word, hurt feelings around it. Um, so it is helping them see that those basic elements are still there. Um, you know, both 
creatures and mountain goat kept the same brewers on. So it's about making sure people are still, if they knew, if they knew Russell, if they knew Alana, if they knew Ian, like those people are still there and like celebrating that fact. Um, and rather than the ownership, making the story about the people because that's their recipe. They're the ones, you know, getting up at 6am to make that beer that you love and it's still happening. Um, yeah, and so it's about understanding on both sides. But, yeah, again, just being transparent and, um, yeah, sharing the story. And I think, too, probably from a, a marketing and PR point of view, it's much easier now. Um, I'm guessing you got cards and letters and tweets and, and Facebook notifications and messages and whatever saying, oh, you know, I'm never going to buy the beer again because it's been sold to Asahi or it's been sold to Kieran or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you've, you know, the beer's changed. It's not as hoppy anymore and that sort of thing. Um, is it easier now, I guess, for big business to communicate um, to a wider audience? Um, I guess, you know, deflecting that sort of stuff as well? It, it is. Um, my time how, how do you tell creatures... it, How do you tell your clients, for example, through totem marketing, how, do you, do, how can you word people up on, you know, when's the right time? Because the, there's often criticism, oh, they took too long to respond. Oh, they jumped on straight away before stopping and thinking about it. So... You can't win. What's do you no, have like a? You've got to treat all media like that, like a personal conversation. And if someone came into the brew house or into the office and said something to you in person, you wouldn't leave them waiting, or you wouldn't brush them off. And you've got to treat social media, emails, everything like that exactly the same. And understand that this is important to someone. If they if they have taken the time to reach out to you as a brewery with their feelings, positive or negative, about the, the product you're making. That's a big deal. Like we're all so busy, and that's they've felt that strongly enough to reach out. Um, so value that. Um, it's always an opportunity. It, it might be a hard one, but it's always an opportunity. Like if they've reached out and they said, "I'm not buying your beer anymore." You know, if, if if you know you're not going to change their mind, still thank them for supporting you over those years. Um, you know the reason you got that big was because of people like that. Um, and so. You can always manage it that they might not be buying your beer anymore, but they might still think fondly of the time that they loved that beer. Um, I think it is getting a little bit easier. Um, Yeah, at Creatures, it was... I won't lie, it was horrible. Some of the things that came through, um, it was was a really tough time, Um, especially when you're working at that brewery and you see the same brewers and they're still pumping out that same delicious beer and the recipe didn't change and everyone's saying it did and, like, you get very um, protective of your workmates um, because they're, you know, they're good people. Um, it was seemed to be a little bit less for Mountain Goat and from the outside looking in, it looked like it was a lot more accepting of the more recent acquisitions. Um, I certainly read a lot more about um, let's just see where the beer goes rather than the assumption that it's shit now. Um, a, a couple, I think, of, I think couple people, of champion trophies and a uh, yeah. champion brewery well, probably doesn't hurt given yeah. that all of those beers were the ones that, that were still coming out of Richmond. Yep. And so, yeah. if you like, they were almost like the traditional mountain goat beers rather than the, you know... The core range or... The yeah. corporate mountain goat beers. Yeah. Um, and I think what mountain goat has done in the two and a half years since being acquired by Asahi really has kind of set that mark that just let's just see what happens. Like, still trust the beers, still trust the people behind it. Um, you know, it is more than just branding. You love it for the liquid inside it. So let's let's see where that beer goes. Um, understandably, people will still be quite sceptical about it. And that's, again, that's I th- to me, that's one of the great things about working in craft beer is that people do give a shit. 
Um, you know, people don't seem to get as patriotic about or as vocal about their toothpaste or um, toilet you know, paper. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we're actually in an industry, and a, we we make beer that people see themselves in and relate to and love. Um, and, you know, that's why I love being a marketer in beer. Like I couldn't imagine being in another industry. What is it about beer, though? And, and I don't mean about craft beer because it's true right across the industry that it really has an inordinately intense emotional experience to it. I, I don't think people are as emotionally invested in wine brands, for example, as they are in beer um, and ownership of, of beer. There doesn't seem to be that same kerfuffle. What is it about beer yeah. that sets it apart? Um, I would say from both my time in wine and beer, I, I do agree. I think wine still has some absolute fanatics in it, but it does tend to be a lot more prestige-related, um, where with beer, I think as you guys sprout, beer is a conversation. It's that ultimate social lubricant, and it can, you can be um, on a beer budget or you can be buying barrel-aged $80 bottles. Like, And there's this real kind of synergy between um, whether you're – like well, I started off. I'm an Adelaide girl. Started off on West End for Christ's sakes. Like, you know, that's you still go through now and live working in the craft world. There's still that synergy, regardless of what beer you're drinking. There's just this really lovely mateship to beer. And um, do you think too that despite the fact that beer is, as Charlie Bamford says, is an infinitely more technically difficult product to produce, that people feel they know beer, but to really appreciate wine, you've got to have a lot more knowledge than the average person has. So you don't feel... Is that a smoke and mirrors thing, though, that the, the, the wine well, industry... Well, that's what I'm saying, yeah. Is that, is that something, a barrier that the wine industry puts up to, to either protect the prestige of brands so that when it, uh, you know, a name, um, a name brand, like, for example, like Andrew Garrett, to my, to my understanding, hasn't been allowed to make wine under his own... Like, he sold yeah. the label, so he can't go and make yeah. his own range of wines because it's owned by whoever it's owned by. Um, whereas we, I still think every time I, I drink a mountain goat beer, I'm, I, I think Dave brewed this. Yeah. He probably hasn't been on the tools for, you know, yeah. as long as he was on the tools. Yeah. You know? Wine has done a really good job of that and beer can certainly follow wine's steps because wine has put winemakers up on a pedestal and we really think that um, it's unattainable to do what they do and there's this real celebration in what they do where because maybe it's just because beer is made continuously throughout the year um home brewing there's i guess there's a sense that i can do this Whereas actually you, yeah i didn't i didn't don't. start brewing wine in yeah. the you know in the bathtub at, uh, but at in home. terms of beer marketing we've got so much ground to break because you know beer is a better food match and i can say that from being on both sides so yeah. trying to organize wine dinners was a lot harder than trying to organize beer dinners right and beer, especially like with female consumers, like when I've got my girlfriends that say they don't drink beer, matching beer with some food and they're like, wow, like this like stout with like blue cheese or chocolate or like there's, this, I never would have thought that I could, to have beer with my food. And we need to start making restaurants support that. And like, that's absolutely, mar that's our industry's job to get that change going. Um, but it's interesting you say that because one of the big trends and we're drinking out of cans. Restaurants, like, there is just something wrong with um, 
pouring a beer in a restaurant out of a can. Just done a seminar, Matt, with um, Dermot Morda from uh, Endeavour Drinks Group. Yep. And uh, Ben Krause was f- facilitating the, the panel discussion and asked each of the guys, you know, uh, cans or bottles, which, are, where, you know, what, what's the future? And Dermot said cans, 100%. He said 128% growth in cans just in there and that's sort of Dan's BWS the bigger sort of change. but that's on a retail shelf and, 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 and that's, that's customer driven yeah and then that's customer driven but again if I go into a I, I do worry that the exclusive use of cans then starts limiting beer to you know it's it's keeping it out of restaurants it's going to give out of restaurants restaurants is a small market but in terms of increasing the perception of beer... Um, getting... So maybe maybe there's a, a, an opportunity in the same way that if I buy a $180 bottle of wine, I expect it to come out decanted into one of those poury things. So yeah. the label doesn't matter, or does it? Like, uh, is there maybe an opportunity for somebody to decant cans? Yeah, I present the can, but then I'll pour it into something that you can... But, but that's the point, whether it's um, decanted or not, the pouring from a can is so much less elegant than pouring from a bottle. It is. Um, and it doesn't change the flavour of the beer, but we, as we know, the flavour of what's in the can or the bottle is only a, you know, a part of the experience of drinking the yeah. beer. Um, and restaurants, and, and I do it a lot. Like I, you know, I use, um, I think we might have even talked about this last week, but I use Bolter at a lot of my yeah. corporate tastings um, because it's a really good lager and it's fresh and it's local. But I hate pouring it from a can into a glass at the event. Obviously, it's amazing growth at 128%. Cans is still only, what, 5% of total beer volume. I think bottles is still 95 So we still have to be thinking the consumer themselves, they are leading that growth in cans, but there's still an overwhelming amount that are still preferring to buy in bottle. So in terms of like launching and branding, again, it's keeping your consumer in mind. If you're going to launch in can, that's fine. But you know, are you targeting the right people in the craft community or is it more the mainstream craft that might be preferring a bottle still? Um, it's still about knowing your consumer and what they're actually wanting to drink And particularly from. if you're a new brewery or a, uh, a brewery in planning and you sort of think, okay, are we going to get a bottling line or are we going to get a canning line? You, you want to kind of make that call... Early doors. You want to sniff the wind and see where you think Although speaking, the trends like, are with, going. Because you don't have mobile bottling lines, but you do have mobile canning lines. And, uh, you know, so if you want... Well, even you look at Brick Lane. I mean, Brick Lane will offer... They're putting both, yeah. You can come down, brew a beer down here, or bring your own beer down here, and we'll can it for you, we'll bottle it for you, or we'll keg it ah, for you. So okay. I guess that's an option of... I, I, was speaking, I was speaking to one, I don't know whether they wanted me to announce it, but one of the uh, exhibitors here... Um, which sells canning and bottling lines. Um, and one of the products that their their business will be bringing out is a dual bottling canning line system. So okay, so same footprint, but you can do both. Same footprint, and yeah. you can just switch, switch between over. the two. And yep. that'll be very interesting to see. Yeah. Something really hot in the wine industry now too is actually wine going into cans. So wine is actually reverting well, to where we are. We tried, and going. Wine came out in cans a decade ago or so, didn't it? Like... A, and is yeah yeah but wait, well it did, but it didn't that, that's the last. a great example because well you had bottled wine and then you had cask wine and cask wine was a massive innovation and it popularized wine and it took wine to the people but at the same time goon changed the perception of, like it, it in the same way that Kath and Kim changed the perception of Cardinet. <laughs> oh, God, yeah, absolutely well and uh, you know Merlot you know if anyone fucking orders Merlot <laughs> I'm out of here killed. 
a, uh, like a, a style overnight when that came out in sideways. So these things, but so, so you can never separate perception from things. So yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that cans devalue beer because, they, but they are greatly popularizing it, and they, for every place that they get it in, um, I think there's a high value perception changing opportunity that is lost to that same beer. Brews News is made possible by Brewpack, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Zoe, before we got sidetracked on wine and cans and then <laughs> wine into cans, um, spoke about you know the people and, and how that really is, I guess, the essence. The, it's, well, to, to kind of phrase, the, it's, it's, it's the DNA of, of beer. Um, and Kim Jordan from New Belgium Brewing this morning in her keynote address to the the delegates to open the conference, um, spoke almost exclusively. Uh, It just kept coming back to, this industry is about the people. Yep, you've got to make good beer and you've got to concentrate on quality and all that sort of thing. But I thought it was really interesting that everything was coming back to, it's it's all about the people. And I think that really sort of sums up what what Brewcon, or Brewcon sums up what our industry is really all about. And that was, uh, Megan um, covered uh, Kim's speech. And it was was an interesting speech because on one hand, in terms of reporting it for the website, it was a little harder to. There was a lot of that spiritual element, or you know, the the, the culture, that was a little bit harder to report on um, for a written article, and so that's why you really needed to be here for for that. Um, next week we will have a beer as a conversation with Kim that will go into that a little bit more. But I found it very interesting, um, and our headline was "Brewers Should Budget for Bad Beer," um, and she really drilled down into how. Brewers really need to be quality focused, and uh, you know, are you making a yes/no, you know, a go/no go decision about your beer, you know, at every stage through the uh, through the line? And um, and so essentially, she was saying that if you're not budgeting to have some beer that's going to either be pulled from the shelves or have to be dumped from the tank or whatever, you're not being fair income about you, it. Yeah. You're not being fair income about it. And she was quoting Jim Cook from uh, Boston Brewing about that, and I thought that was fascinating because. You know, we, we've had a bit of a go at Stone, for example, for sending beer over and putting extended shelf life and sending it sitting long after they think that it's good. When, what was that? <laughs> no, let, let, don't mention the war. <laughs> but I don't know any Australian brewers that would have a program where they would go into a Dan Murphy's and take beer off shelves once it's outside of their acceptable limits. And I think that a lot of people are putting dates on their on their bottles and cans that don't actually bear any um, relationship to when they think that their beer is actually at acceptable drinking quality. They're putting what they say the retailers need them to put on and probably know that their beer isn't going to be at its peak quality. You're biting your tongue. No, 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 I'm just, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just processing that. Is this a fence sit? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Fence sit? No, no, not at all. So what, what do you think, Zoe? <laughs> oh, <laughs> throw me in. 
Yeah, yeah, throw you, you under the bus. You two are actually here in like real life. I'm going to have to jump in the middle and <laughs> like split you up. Um, I really just love the honesty of Kim's um, presentation this today and something like that, that the power is in us to be doing that and yeah, put honest uh, use-by dates on your um, on your beers and stand by it and be proud of that. Um, share, that's another story to tell. And I thought the um, idea of like factoring in for the bad things that happen, again, like as she said, we're making a live product here. Like this isn't plastic or, you know, we've, I, I just, to me, it was just one of those things you hear and then you're like, that, that's just a no-brainer. And it was interesting like, too that yeah. when because she, she was talking about the the ownership structure that they've got at New Belgium and how the co-workers are all sort of part of the the shareholding. Um, James Perrin in his presentation called the Village Brewer um, touched on it, and then I've just done three six sessions today. Three of them touched on exactly the same thing, all independent of each other. So one was um, was was sort of um, law and insurance and that sort of thing. Another one was. Um, you know, rebates and excise and that sort of thing. But all of them mentioned, you know, having an exit strategy. So, and, and the best way to, 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 to make, a, make plans, for example, when friendships turn bad is to plan it when friendships are good. Yep. Um, and to have an, an exit strategy. In the worst case scenario, if, if, if one of the three shareholders dies, if one of the three shareholders decides, I don't want to do this anymore. I've won Tats Lotto. I want to give on, live on a Caribbean island. You know, it's and that's a lot a, harder than hard I thought truth. going in. Yeah. Well, that's it. I didn't realise it was going to be this much hard work. I thought it was going to be all, you know, rock stars and, uh, you know, being fated by, by fanboys and, uh, you know, getting a tongue bath every time I, you know, put out a new beer on social media. Um, so that was a really interesting one because, like you say, Zoe, it's all, um, it, it's not all rainbows and lollipops and unicorns. It's, um, it, it is a lot of hard work and I think it's refreshing that we're actually bringing up the possibility that, you know what, we've got a plan yeah. for the fact that, you know, we're 450 businesses now with another 120 odd in planning. You know what, we're not all going to, in five years time, we're not going to be sitting here rattling off the same list. There are going to be a heap of new brewers and there are going to be a heap who we're talking about now and it may be some of the, our listeners' favourites who sadly uh, are no longer on the shelves or have, you know... Well, well, that was out. one of the things that when when we chatted to Brendan Varus uh, when he announced the sale, you know, he, he he's been a champion of the industry for so long, deeply involved, you know, going to every beer, you know, festival and uh, you know, judging and all of those things, and he reached the stage where having built the new brewery and then had to build the new brewery again to, to cope with expansion and with the debt that was weighing on his shoulders, he had to he reached a point. Why am you know, what am I doing this for? My I've got children who don't want to come into the brewery. So what is my end game? And if I don't sell now, what am I going to continue doing this for? And that's that's a great question that people have to ask going in. Yeah. Uh, now, Matt, what else is um, making news apart from? Because obviously, BrewCon we're going to be covering over the next few months because there's so much material that we're going to be gaining. Lots um, of great chats coming out of it. Um, yeah, look, but it, it is just all um, power to the Independent Brewers Association. Um, the this is a, as a trade floor that we're sitting in now is. You know, it's like going to like the Home and Garden Show or you know the Home Ideas Show. It or, is incredible. And you look at the, the the money that people have spent for their um, you know, stand. There ain't no card tables with a, there, there a stack of brochures on it anymore. There, there ain't no. Spe- speaking of brewers that have sold out, we've. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so Mick Mick from Pyrolite just stopped in the background by MC from Pyrolite. Talking of exit strategies. <laughs> Actually, Mick, come here, come here, quickly. Just quickly, mate. Um, way back when, when you first started, did you guys, we, we're just talking about um, brewers, uh, it's not a dirty word, exit strategies is not a dirty word. So did you guys, when you went into it, think, okay, let's assume everything's going to go really well, but what's, what's the, the process if um, you guys decide you don't want to do it anymore, you decide you want to go and become a hairdresser and or you die? Yeah, mate, we set out with a five-year plan um, and obviously that, um, that sort of developed a bit quicker than we anticipated, but we didn't have an exit strategy because I think from Jack and Red's point of view, it was all about making good beer. And as, with two kids, you know, Jack at the time was 24, Red was probably 28 or 29. Their whole role was just, we just want to make good beer. So there's never any process, there was never any discussion. And in the two and a half years prior to probably the discussion with CUB, we just kept trying to build a brewery that made, made cracking beer. So it wasn't a point that ever came up in discussion. Knowing what you know now, would you have an exit strategy in place if you started again tomorrow? Um, no, I don't think so. I think you've got to start out with a lot of um, gusto and passion and, and really have a crack. As soon as you start thinking of exit strategies, the philosophy changes because you're working away from what you initially started to do. I'm glad we grabbed you along there because yeah, yeah. that's completely different to what I was thinking it was going to go. There you go. Beer is a conversation. Beer is a conversation so. and, we, and sometimes we do it on the fly. MC, thanks for joining us, mate. Thanks, mate. So that was Michael Cameron from uh, Pirate Life. So, uh, mate, the great thing about being on the floor... Working live. People you never know what's going to happen. Uh, but it, we have the whole industry uh, walking past us at the moment, but it's a really, really impressive uh, thing. So uh, congratulations to, to the uh, Independent Brewers Association. And the other thing is we've been sitting here, I just noticed that both of the beers, uh, the... Um, Saison, the Sour Red Saison from Stomping Ground and the New England IPA from Bad Shepherd, both sporting the uh, Independent Brewers Association mm, logo. There we go. It's out there. Actually, that, that's one thing I, I will just raise very, very briefly. Having seen it um, in so many forms at the conference here and seen it in, in so many executions, it's really grown on me, Prof. Like the, the, the logo... I must admit, as, looking, at, yeah, looking at this one, which is white on the, on the red can... It's quite a different feel, and it's far less imposing, and it's far less—I um, won't say cartoony—but the the yellow and black and white of the the full color, you know, the poster style logo, if yep. you like. The criticism was, oh, it, you know, it, it's not going to look good on a can. But I think people hadn't seen. Hadn't the, seen the so if this was a white can, I could have that in black. If it's a darker color can, I can have it in white. It's far less imposing than I think people perhaps anticipated it would be. But it stands out. It, but it, you can see it easily. It, yeah. And it'll become more recognisable the more people see yep. it out there in the trade. Absolutely. So, yeah, no, I, I think it's a winner. I, I think it's doing hey, Matt, really just well. Just quickly before we go to Mailbag, I know we, we have had some. Uh, well, we'll do the letter of the week. Joshua Quantrill uh, emailed, Hey, gents, I just wanted to get in touch around the Brute IPA added enzyme issue because we touched on it last week. Large macro brewers add enzymes during their brewing process because their grist is made up largely of adjuncts and they have a very low... They have a low to very low diastatic power. So to brew with these adjuncts that have no enzymes internally, it is required to add external enzymes to convert a uh, high level of starch to sugar. In terms of added enzymes in brewed IPA or any craft brewing, I think of it as fuck it, why not? Mindset of trying new things, seeing what happens and learning more about beer and the brewing than we did before. I suppose it's a way of uh, gaining that level of dryness without the flavor, Britannomyces, Pediococcus, Acetobacter lactobacillus um, would bring. 
would be awesome to hear what you guys think. And uh, if you find yourselves in Sydney, give me a shout. So we might have to uh, give him a shout. Well, Josh, we're I'm not sure that we'll... Uh, uh, I've just moved over from the UK, and so it would be wicked to grab a beer and say hi. Uh, when low-carb beers come into play, well, you know the score. Ha, ha, ha. Josh, and Josh is a certified Cicerone. So uh, right. thank you, Josh. And Josh, since you're in Sydney, I've got in my hand here a uh, beautiful Bruise News uh, bar we'll, blade. We'll have to so, give one to Zoe as a friend yeah, of the Zoe program. Yeah, Zoe will get one as well, now that she's officially a friend of the program. But, um, <laughs> but Josh, um, look, uh, out in the car park of the Australian Technology Park, I'm going to hide this, um, hide your bar blade. So if he can just come and collect it, it'll just save us, save us on postage. He's our letter of the week, so the, uh, our, oh, our good friends... He's getting a six-pack from he gets a six-pack that includes... A, and I don't know, a couple of our listeners have been tweeting photos of their six-packs turning up with their bar blade. So, uh, Very yeah. nice. And thank you to our good friends at Beer Cartel, because uh, there's some quality uh, quality suds going on in the... Uh, some quality booze. <laughs> don't and, say <laughs> that. Don't go there. There's some quality <laughs> beer going out in those six-packs. So, listeners... As you all, as you know, let us know what you think because beer is a conversation, and we'd love to uh, send a quality six pack of beer out to you as well. Uh, well, listeners, we have to get back out there onto the floor now and uh, keep this conference going. There's we're almost halfway through, uh, plenty more to go, and obviously the indies will be announced on Thursday. So by the time this drops. Uh, all the winners will have been announced. So we all know the best independent craft beers in Australia. All the best of um, independent luck to all of the um, the brewers who have beers in. Um, Zoe, thank you very much again for joining oh. us. As I say, it's an honour because I think you might be the first um, like a guest host um, live who's actually guest host, yeah. recorded I, live with us. The so pleasure really we is We bought a the microphone especially for you, I love you, Zoe. the opportunity to talk about beer and marketing um, and you guys just... It's easy to do it with you. We might because so eight o'clock you. tomorrow morning, so uh, it'll be done and dusted by the time this uh, this episode goes to air. But uh, Terry Farrandorf, who's the the founder of the Pink Boots Society, uh, will be attending the Australian AGM of the Pink Boots Society tomorrow morning. Yeah, so we have that tomorrow morning, which will be fantastic. How um, many are you expecting? Uh, we're hoping to get, yeah, about 40 or 50 members wow. across. Because um, I remember the first AGM of Pink Boots, because for some reason, I don't know whether it's just me, it always seems to be in the room that I'm working. <laughs> so I've always got to stand out waiting <laughs> well, while they all fit. No, but you, my point, <laughs> no, I'm not going to go there, it's all right. Different type of work <laughs> that my, you're doing. <laughs> but my point being, um, I remember there might have been a dozen the first time and then it doubled the next year and it looks like we've doubled again exactly my first one i think there was probably a 10 of us so it's really fantastic to see it certainly helps that we've been able to hold it in diff- in outside melbourne the last two years um and get the opportunity to have more women that are interested in coming along and meeting the other members of pink boots um so yeah i'm really excited for that we um had a brew day with terry yesterday at wayward um so there'll be a raspberry and blackberry goza coming out soon as the next pink boots release terry's amazing she presented today on malts um and i believe we're hoping to have a conversation with her on the podcast yeah we've got terry found off um, Booked yeah. in. Uh, or we're going to try to grab her. Try, try to yeah. around her schedule. Yeah. yeah. So definitely she's, keen to she's speak. Just a, she's a gun. She's and, an and really great, great too, Zoe, to see that um, this year again at BrewCon, um, four Pink Boots members have, have been like have, have got a like a scholarship 
yeah, to, yeah. to come to so, BrewCon, um, who may otherwise not have been know, able Pink to. Boots is a not-for-profit, so the Brew Days, the money that we do make for that, we're very generously supported by a lot of the suppliers of the beer industry. So we're able to make beer with a lot of donated um, ingredients and then able to sell those kegs. Um, the money from that all goes back into our members. Um, so we've got four members that have their scholarships to come over to the conference. Um, two are from WA. So like it's a big commitment for a brewery to be sending their staff over, having them out of the office. If you're coming over from WA, there's a day travel time essentially both sides. So the fact that we're able to help out in some way, it's, um, it's exactly why I joined Pink Boots is um, that opportunity to learn, um, to support each other. Um, it's something I'm really proud to be a part of. Um, and it's really great, like talking to the four recipients of the scholarships. They're just loving it. So, so we might impose on you if we can to in future weeks to perhaps get you on to give a bit of a wrap of, um, of, how, of how things went. Um, I'd love to hear particularly the, the international guests um, and Terry in particular their comments on, on, I guess, where beer is going from a, a female perspective in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so we yeah. might have uh, our... Did it, did it, did absolutely. Did it, did it. And, and Zoe, uh, you give away a lot of your uh, marketing uh, expertise for free on, on our show, but if people wanted to actually engage you uh, to... to activate uh, some of their branding for them. How, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm um, one half of Totem Marketing. Um, we're a small agency, marketing agency, specifically here to help um, Australian small producers. Um, so basically yeah, anything delicious we love to work with. Um, totemmarketing.com.au, LinkedIn, Facebook, the usual the usual outlets. Um, and whether it's a professional query or even just a general query and just a coffee and a chat, I, I genuinely just love talking marketing and beer and or you're doing a podcast and want some expertise to uh (laughs) yeah don't use us as an example (laughs) it's taken us eight years to get uh to get this rubbish out of (laughs) (laughs) and thank you to joe our producer for making us sound uh uh, glitter on on a uh she does roll a few of them in glitter it is fair to say Uh, and on that note um We will sign off now from BrewCon 2018. Thanks very much for listening. We will see you all again next week. And we're out. (laughs) 